Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Well, welcome to Avant Life Church. If it's your first time here, um, I am so happy that you decided to be with us and worship with us this morning. Uh, We're starting a new series uh, called Holy Ghost Stories. Uh, I know, it's pretty cool. I told the the previous service that, you know, the Bible never actually uses the word Holy Ghost to describe the Holy Spirit, but it suits my uh, graphics today and my title, so we're doing it. Um, Before we get into it, uh, Emma and I were coming back after a few weeks away. I just thought I'd remind everyone that as a church, we're doing something uh, incredible this year. We are launching a campus in Squamish, uh, which is exciting, right? Three or four of you are happy, but that's good. And I know you're probably asking the question, well, how does this affect me? It does affect you in particular ways. One, uh, we're going to be asking the whole church to help pray and win the spiritual warfare in regards to planting a church. Uh, For those of you who were here when we planted this campus, uh, you would be fully aware and understand what is coming our way. And though we know that God has mandated us for this, he's covered us, he also knows that we've got to get in there and and fight the good fight. Um, But I want you to do something here. I know all of you have your phone. Because I know when I get, start getting boring, this is what you turn to. <laughs> it's all right. It's the truth. And I need you to go onto uh, what I classify as your Tower of Babel or Instagram. Um, I need you to search up Avant Life Church underscore Squamish, and I need you to follow it. Yeah, I know. Well, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Top marks for Andrew. Hopefully the 49ers will win the Super Bowl now. And you can do that on Facebook as well. The reason I say that is we're going to be starting to send out information about how you can and what you can and pray about and invest into. Um, We're going to be sending out a registry in regards to signing up for the prayer team. Our hope is that if you call Avant Life Church, at least one of the days that we send a team out there to pray over the city, you would be a part of that. Um, But we'd love you to be a part of more. Obviously, we don't want to take 50 people out every time. That would just wear us out. But we do want to send teams of 10 or 15 people. And this will, be, this will be intense, I'll be honest with you. If you've never done something like this, it's fun. But it's intense, right? Especially if you start, if you're in the early teams where it's still cold out there. I, I know half of you are like, I'm going to sign up for, for July. <laughs> I really sense God's calling me to July. But, but we're going to start sending teams out there once a week to prayer walk the city, pray over the city, and begin to spiritually make a way for what God wants us to do as a church out there. Um, and we want the whole church to get on board. There's going to be continual updates coming across this month and the months into the year about how and why and where and what's going on and all the logistics. And um, that's exciting. It, it is exciting to be a part of the process, a part of the answer. And we're not the answer for Squamish. We're but an expression of, of the answer of Christ. Uh, but to be a part of that is such a godly moment. You really need to understand as a church, we are outwardly focused. We're not inwardly focused. Yes, we gather on a Sunday, but at the end of the day, our mission is to make his name known across the four corners of this earth. And Squamish is our first place outside of here that we think, know, and believe that God's called us to be. Is that cool? All right. So I'm excited about that. So today we're starting our series on the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last week we did our anointing service, and for those of you that were here, we talked about that when you say yes to Jesus, that the Bible says that you are filled with his anointing. He is the source. He is the anointing. 
And scripturally speaking, if you wanted the Holy Spirit to inhabit something, you would have first had to anoint it with oil. That's Old Testament. But then Jesus came and Jesus laid down his life and he died and he was resurrected and then he ascended into heaven. And in that whole process, he became our anointing. So it was no longer just God with us, but God in us because of what Christ did. And in that anointing, that anointing, just like it did in the Old Testament, would summon the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so now... As living as 21st century Christians, we have access to the Holy Spirit in and through us because of Jesus. And though, uh, though a lot of us might know, not understand this and maybe you didn't grow up in a spirit-filled church, the reality is when Paul writes in Romans, those who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. If you were to call on the name of Jesus, you are summonsing and, 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 and giving authority over to the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in that situation. That's essentially what takes place. And so we're going to talk about, and I thought, you know what? As Christians, we use particular language all the time that if I wasn't a Christian, it would make no sense to me. But then I realized a lot of Christians, it still makes no sense to them. Because we just, you're around it long enough that you say it. It becomes a part of your language. Like, we say, so good, Em. You might hear this, or come on. But you'd hear like, oh, so good, Em. And, and for the majority of you, you weren't here when that started. Um, but we just say it anyway. We just make, we just, because it's what it is, what it is. In the same sense, we go, oh, you know what? Holy Spirit, come. You know, we just give the Holy Spirit, we give you authority. We don't actually really comprehend the depth of that statement and how profound and what powers we're actually calling upon when we make that statement. And so we thought it'd be good at the start of the year, since we're a spirit-filled church and we're a spirit-led church, to begin to educate or remind or, or hopefully fill in the gaps for people that maybe you're new to faith, maybe you've been in faith for a long time, what the role of the Holy Spirit is, what the Bible says about it. So we're going to take the next few weeks and then we're going to end on an encounter service where we really ask the Holy Spirit to turn up and we just focus all on the, on the, the concept of the, the, the anointing and the baptism. We're going to talk all about that. But today... We're just going to take it back and I'm going to begin to unravel who the Holy Spirit is at the beginning levels. Is that cool? Alrighty, so uh, an introduction to the Holy Spirit. There's this comment that takes place or there's a statement that takes place in the book of Acts in chapter 15 and it says this, it seemed good to the, to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is what Luke is writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How clearly this indicates the reality of the Holy Spirit and the personal relationship between first century believers and with him. And they enjoyed him. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why this context and this sentence is really important to us. I should have turned Wi-Fi off in all these messages. This statement is said in the midst of this scene, and the scene is the Jerusalem Council. So when the church was born, the early church, there was this Jerusalem Council. And it was the first council of the early church. And the question had arisen, how could the Jewish believers maintain fellowship with Gentile Christians who were not circumcised? All the men in the house, can I tell you, this is a very important conversation and it had profound effects on our side of the gender line uh, in regards to what we didn't have to go through now um, because of this great conversation and the awesome godly outcome from it. They wanted to know how were they meant to be in fellowship with, Christian, uh, with Gentile Christians who weren't circumcised, who ate non-kosher food, which to them was unclean food, who came out of a highly immoral Greek culture of the day. So what happened is, is the apostles, the elders, a whole multitude of believers had gathered at the house uh, to resolve this question together. Some of the converted Pharisees insisted that the Gentiles convert 
that once converted must be circumcised and keep the law of, the, of Moses. I'm just going to pause here and just think, how, how amazing is that? That even in the early church, in its infant stage, they had men of Scripture that had converted, that had accepted Jesus at the table in this conversation. You know, often we read that and we're like, oh, Pharisees at it again. Trying to just take from us cause pain. You did it to Jesus, you want to do it to us. You know, and we, we have this negative concept of the Pharisees, but the Pharisees actually had a really profound understanding of the importance of Scripture. And so they're just bringing this word, and at the moment it's based in law, right? Because they're still trying to compute what Jesus had done. They don't have the benefit of centuries of revelation like we do. But they're at the table, and how beautiful it is that the Pharisees at the table help guide this conversation. But Peter reminds them how God gave the Holy Spirit to Gentiles at the house of Cornelius before they ever had an opportunity to do good works or to, to, uh, do the, um, to obey the laws or keep the laws, the Jewish laws. Paul and Barnabas told of the miracles God had performed through them among the Gentiles who were from Greek culture. So there's something going on here. They're saying, okay, we get what you're saying. We understand it. But in the light and in the filter of the cross, things have changed. And it's not just changed our theology, but it's changing our experience. Because if what you're saying is true, then why is the Holy Spirit turning up? If we need to be circumcised, if we have to eat kosher food, if we have to make sure that we've rejected everything that's wrong in us, even though we're not fully understanding what's going on right now, then we qualify, then what we're actually doing is removing what Jesus has done. This is the conclusion they come to, that Jesus has actually fulfilled all this stuff. Not that we should remain in sin, by the way, but that these things that have been a part of our past no longer define our access to Jesus. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, uh, finally gives a word of wisdom around such thoughts. The whole church is pleased, and so they have to send out letters to what are the new churches within minor Asia spreading into Europe and down to Africa. They have to send it out to these small communities of believers. And in the letter, they don't say this. They don't say it seemed good to James as the chief elder of the Jerusalem church, nor did they say that it seemed good to Peter and the apostles. They didn't say it was the consensus of the brethren as indicated by a majority vote. It wasn't democratic. In all their disputing and all their investigation, their discussion, their debates in Acts 15... They were conscious of the presence of a divine person among them, leading them, guiding them into truth. Thus, it was not mere pious language when they said these words. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us. This conscious reality of the Holy Spirit pervades the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelations. You cannot escape him. He's mentioned countless of times in the Old Testament. And there's only three books in the New Testament that don't allude to his presence. And they're the shorter books. It's Philemon, it's John 2 and John 3. Now, I said this to the 9 a.m. You know what? They're really short books. They're like a page. If you want to win for yourself, you want to tick a box and say, I wrote, I read, no, I read, I read a book in the Bible, turn straight to Philemon. You can do it in like five minutes, honestly. You can get it done. I do, I do warn you, however, you'll read it and you'll be left with more questions and then you have to read more books. That's just how it happens. It's... But if you want to be like, yeah, I read a book today. Say I'm super holy. Read Philemon. It's great. The truth is, and I'm not trying to deny the truth and I'm not trying to sort of evade the reality that, that Jesus Christ is the key figure in God's plan for us. 
The Holy Spirit himself focuses the attention on Christ and seeks to glorify him. In John 15, Jesus says this in verse 26. He says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus is saying here that the Holy Spirit's work is to testify of the redemptive work of Christ. The redemptive work of Christ. What Jesus has done for you. What we have access to. What what we can achieve in and through our salvation. He says in John 16, 14, He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In this statement, Jesus is qualifying the Holy Spirit and himself in the triune Godhead with the Father. He's saying, because what I'm doing here on earth, my Father's will, in and through that sacrifice and that anointing that will overflow, he will receive the commissioned work he will then do when I ascend to heaven. It does not mean the Holy Spirit is ignored by the Bible. He's not treated as some vague influence or some imperceptible energy, you know, oh, the Holy Spirit. You know, during the Middle Ages, there was this big movement through the church. It got, it got quashed pretty quickly. But there's this idea that, well, the Holy Spirit is not actually a part of the Godhead. What he is, he's just the ambient energy that comes from the presence of God. And, and the reality is, is that's not too far away from Eastern mysticisms, right? Oh, I can sense you've got good energy. Your energy's good. My energy acknowledges your energy. My spirit acknowledges your spirit or respects your spirit. Namaste. That's what it means. All Christians go around saying namaste. You're saying your spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's spirit inside you, respects the ungodly spirit in someone else. That's what you say as a Christian when you, when you, you say namaste, just so you know. But we say all this stuff all the time. We don't, we don't realize. Why? Because spirituality is pervasive in society today. Actually, I find it phenomenal. The amount of people I talk to, they're like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And they're like, wow, you don't look like a pastor. Are you allowed tattoos? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Guess we'll find out. <laughs> but I start talking to them and they're like, I didn't realize that Christianity had a spiritual aspect to it or component. I mean, I'm like, it's not a component of Christianity. It is Christianity. We are resurrected in the spirit. Our flesh will pass away, but it's our souls that will endure in eternity with the presence. It's going to be, we are a spiritual faith. Both explicitly and implicitly, the Bible treats the Holy Spirit as a distinct person. He's not this energy that we talk about. He's not the hype. He's not the vibe. And I know we come here on Sundays and it's great and we feel the presence of God and it is his presence. But if you're new to faith or you've never been to church before and you're wondering what you're feeling, that is not good energy. That's not chi. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says that when as saints gather together, as we unite our faith, as we unite our praise and worship, the Bible says that his presence on a tangible level becomes summons to that point. It's the access to power. It's heaven here on earth. He is a distinct person. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, Paul writes this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He therefore acts with intelligence and with wisdom. Paul writes about this in Ephesians. Isaiah writes about it in chapter 11. He has emotions. He can be grieved. He can be vexed. He can be pained. He can be hurt. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. He's not saying do not grieve for him. He's saying do not live a life that brings him grief. Knowing that you have been paid for, that a price has been met through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that you are no longer a slave. The Bible says, do not go back to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to sin because that would mean you do not fully appreciate what has been paid for and how it was paid for. And that grieves him. It grieves him because he wants, you, he wants us to live in the freedoms of Christ, not to be yoked, not to be partnered with what is causing us the pain and the hurt and the blindness in the first place. Isaiah writes this in chapter 63, verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. They grieved him. They rebelled against him. The Holy Spirit feels, he has emotions. He's a distinct person of the Trinity. The Bible says that, uh, that God is a good father and he loves to give good gifts. Um, and one of the, I would say, outside of salvation or in partnership with salvation, the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is what he's talking about when he says the perfect gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, All these are the work of the one and same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The early church was guided and directed in key missionary movements by a definite, specific, personal Holy Spirit. I get so annoyed when I meet people. He's like, Pastor Ben, you shouldn't get annoyed. I get annoyed. I get annoyed over mouth noises. When you eat with someone, you hear the mouth noise, right? I'm just like, what's going on? It's like it's a thorn in my side. You might not be making much noise. It's not you, it's me. I get so annoyed when people come up and they're like, oh, I, still, I think the Holy Spirit said this. Or I felt that maybe he's, he's in here, maybe. And I'm just like, Yo, you know the Holy Spirit's not something that's just like in the ether that might be there, might not be there. You know, when I grew up uh, yesterday, and um, <laughs> I just remember as a kid, we'd sit at dinner tables with friends and they'd have like the empty seat. And you'd be like, who's the seat for? And they'd be like, the Holy, the Holy Ghost. That's weird, right? I know. But, but at the same time, I tell you what, I always watch my conversation. I was like, that seat's filled. You know? And you're like, ever sat down, you're talking, but you know, you feel like something's watching you. But you look over, it's just an empty seat. But I love that thought, and it was to remind us that the Holy Spirit is always present He's, dis he's distinct. He's, not, he, he, he's meant to be known in that sense. Holy, the Holy Spirit is not something that you're just like, oh, I wonder if he's there. You'll know if he's there. And the, the more you grow in your faith, the more that you mature in your faith, the more you realize that he guides and directs us in each and every step that we take. The Bible is filled with evidence by men and women who were moved by the Holy Spirit that they knew him as a definite, present, and personal God. If you were to ask one of the judges or the prophets of the Old Testament if the Holy Spirit had come upon them, they would never say, I, th I think so. Well, I hope he did. They would never say that. 
We read that in the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and they clothed himself with Gideon and he blew and Gideon blew the trumpet. That's Judges 6. So the imagery here is, and I don't know if you know the story about Gideon, but he's essentially got just this, this rabble of men. There's 300. They're up against an insurmountable force. God gives them the most, the stupidest way to defeat him, like in our minds. And, and the Bible says that he fills Gideon with his spirit. And in that spirit, it's a tangible, definite, and, and now Gideon knows he's filled the Spirit, and in that, he blows his trumpet. And all hell breaks loose on the enemy. And if you know the story, this incredible victory happens from this invading force that God pushes back and, and pulls apart because Gideon was filled with the tangibles. Gideon would not have said, I think he came on me. He said, no, he definitely did. It was no mild or secret touch when a young lion roared against Samson. The Bible says in Judges 14 that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and though he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion into pieces as one tears a young goat. Ever read the Bible and be like, that's messed up. <laughs> the lion part I'm fine with, but like, was it a thing that you just go tear up goats? Like, was that your hobby? Dad, what are we going to do today? I got some good goats. They're in the furthest paddock. First one there gets to tear them up. I'm like, yeah, right. When I read it in the old King James, it said kids. I was like, what? Tear up a lion like you tear up a kid. I was like, that's messed up. That's obviously a goat, right? So it's all good. Samson was young and the Bible says that he did not tell his father or mother what had happened. But I want you to know right now that it was tangible. It was real. He didn't think it. It wasn't something that maybe happened. It happened. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, Samson went and he grabbed this lion and he tore it apart. Can I tell you right now, when the Holy Spirit turns up in your life, when he imparts his presence and when he follows the anointing in Christ right now, something begins to overwhelm you. Something begins to fill you with, with courage. It's like the circle of life. We're going to come back to here, but not a kuna matata or anything like that. But, but if, I want you to know this right now, that the Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. His one and only Son gave his life so that we would have access back to the Father. And in that, the Father gave a perfect gift in the Holy Spirit. And in this cycle of the triune, we begin to operate in heavenly authority. And so if you're struggling right now with things in your life... I, if you were to give me what's going on and I were to put them into that equation, that equation would spit out. Everyone thinks I'm a genius as a pastor because you come give me your problems. Pastor Ben is so discerning. I wish I was like this was coming from me, but it's not. I just take your issues and what you're going through. I place them into this equation and it will spit out a pretty appropriate answer. Like, are you spending time in God's word? Because the Holy Spirit actually speaks of the redemptive work of Christ in the breadth of of the Bible. And so if you're given a prophetic word or if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, he will never say something that contradicts the word of God. Therefore, to make sure that you're on the right money, you take what's been said to you or what's been imparted into you and you put it through the filter of scripture and you come up with an answer. But a lot of us don't even do that. Why? Because we don't have the word of God in our life. And so when I say to you that the Holy Spirit came onto Samson 
like a rushing wind that had filled him up and he tore a lion apart. Can I, can I encourage you? You will know when the Holy Spirit is on you, something will have changed, you're not the same, and that you're going to take that enemy, and if that enemy is hypothetically a lion, you're going to put your hands on its mouth, and you're going to rip that jaw open, you're going to stick your hand down its throat, you're going to pull out its tongue, you don't want it to say anything back, you're going to throw it, it's disgusting, right? But a lot of you are like, wow, wow, I want to do that. Do you? Like, but that's, that's the imagery God's giving us. We're not meant to be these wimpy, weak, you know, oh, like, oh, I'm just humble. No, you're not humble. You're scared. Put your big boy pants on now, hey? There's a lion out there. It's got your name on it. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Go rip his face off. You've got to be alive in what God's doing in your life. <laughs> it's pretty vulgar, but it's, it's, it's out there now. It's on YouTube. <laughs> The Bible says when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, he prophesied and was turned into another man. There was a transformation. Amos, the prophet. (laughs) He sets out a series of cause and effects illustration. He says this, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? He is tapping in to this inner compulsion that is moving us. It's strong enough to move us like we would be moved if there was a real lion here right now. If I was to be like, hey guys, guess what I got? And just pulled out a lion and then I ran. He he would just stick around. Be honest, you wouldn't. Toby would. You'd be dead, mate. I'll train it. I'll whisper into it so you get Toby. Micah, also a prophet, (laughs) writes this, full of power by the Holy Spirit to deal with Israel's sin. He was filled with the Holy Spirit to confront Israel about its sin, its collective national sin. There is no denying that when God turns up in your life, the Holy Spirit turns up in your life, there is a noticeable change. You know he's there. He's in and through you now. It's not something that's in the ether or questionable. There's no guesswork concerning the reality or the definitions or the definite actions of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. You know, for the sake of John the Baptist, the Bible says that the Spirit came upon Jesus in a visible form of a dove. And then the sound of wind and the tongues of fire herald the presence of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You know that the early church, the first church on this earth was a Pentecostal church? It's true. Read it. Prove me wrong. I'd just be happy if you read it. He has other manifestations to the early church that were invisible, but they were just as definite. And, you know, on three occasions in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, the Bible specifically recorded that the believers, once filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other tongues. It says when the Holy Spirit turned up in Acts 4 that the whole place was shaken and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. It says in Acts 9 that the Holy Spirit was the encourager, the comforter, and was a very important factor in the growth of the early church. 
They didn't have to guess whether or not he was there. They knew it. The Holy Spirit was there. He was the one that provided the warmth, the power, the joy that characterized the whole movement of the gospel. In the first century, every part of a daily life of a believer was understanding that the Holy Spirit was present in your work and in your worship. There was no uh, difference. There was no delineation between that. It was one of everything. He was dedicated. He was a part of what we were doing. Everything we did, everything they did, is under the direction of the Holy Spirit. This morning, who can honestly say everything that we do is in the direction and under the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit? I want to have moments with God that are even more profound than what I've already had. The depths and the widths and the heights of God are indescribable by the language of man, and therefore I know for the very fact that I will never, ever arrive in my full understanding of what God can actually do. However, my disposition, my position in life will be always to pursue the Holy Spirit in and through his word. What are you saying to me? Where are you leading me? What words do you want me to speak, preach? How do you want me to live? What city do you want me to live in? All of these things are really important. I thought it'd be really interesting uh, to take some time right now to discuss what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and his teachings. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to jump around the Bible a little bit and really hone in on the different things, especially the gifts of the Spirit. But I thought today would be good as a foundation to understand what Jesus himself said when on earth about the Holy Spirit. You know, he gave little teaching about the Holy Spirit when in, in, the, in a public setting or in large crowds. He didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit. It was only in the intimate and more private settings with his disciples that he begins to discuss the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he saves a lot of this for the moments before Gethsemane. And you can read about that, especially in the Gospel of John. See, Jesus recognizes that it's the Spirit's inspiration that you see throughout the Old Testament, because that's the scriptures they're reflecting on. He also knows that it's the work of the Spirit that will happen in respect to the Messiah. He does, however, he gives specific teaching to the disciples in the gospel with respect to four things when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so this is what I want to talk about now just before the worship team comes back up, is these four distinct things. Firstly, Jesus recognizes that the Spirit is a gift from God. And is the key to all God has for us. We read this in Luke 11, verse 9 to 13. He says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, that's us, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit is the perfect gift from God. And what I love about this, it says that if we are persistent, if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, why wouldn't God give it to us? Why wouldn't God release the Holy Spirit to us? Secondly, he says uh, that the Spirit... 
would be with his disciples to help them in ministry and to anoint them even in the midst of persecution. Matthew 10, 16, 20 says this. The title says this, persecution will come. Yay. Persecution will come. It says this in verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Continues to say this. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Can I really just take a moment to talk about this? You've got to know that God wants to use your voice box to speak the gospel. I do appreciate, and I say this all the time, St. Francis of Assisi, if, you know, speak or preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I love that notion. It's great. It's awesome. It means don't be a hypocrite. But at the same time, the Bible says we are to be a voice to the lost. You've got, you can't hide behind, I live a good Christian life. You've got to know your word. The Bible says that in those moments when we feel like we don't know what to say, we don't know what words of wisdom to bring or guidance, that the Holy Spirit will fill you with the right words. And this, this circles us all the way back to the reality is if you don't know your word, then you're limited in how God can use you. Because in that moment, when the Holy Spirit is moving, he wants to partner it with his written word. And the Bible says in Psalms, the psalmist writes it, and we should do this. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart, the depths of my heart, so that I would not sin against you. You need to take the word and you need to absorb it. You need to meditate on it. You need to live in and through it. It needs to be found in the depths of your heart. So when you're found in that moment where you need to bring a godly word, a spirit-filled word, a, a supernaturally insightful word, there is a depth to you in the word that God can draw out like a deep well and just use as his weapon of love. Half the reason we don't say what we should say is because we've brought a stick to a gunfight. That's reality. And so we keep our mouths shut. But if the word is living in you, if it's deep in you and the Holy Spirit's stirring through that word, oh, try to keep your mouth closed. I dare you. You won't be able to do it. Worship team, you can come. Thirdly, he commanded them to baptize believers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We read about this in Matthew 28. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus clearly identifying the Holy Spirit as a part of the Godhead. He takes the time to let you know that in the three-person type, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune, we then have the God that we worship. And number four, he commands them to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high, Luke 24. And they do exactly that. They wait. Notice that Johanna and I dressed the same today. <laughs> At least someone on the team got the memo, hey? Don't know why no one else dressed like this anyway. 
The Bible says that they listen to Jesus and they go wait in Jerusalem in the upper room. And what takes place? What is this power from on high? Well, the day of Pentecost happens, right? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is released like a rushing wind. Fills that room and there's those tongues of fire and it heralds the birth of the church. His spirit has lit the flame. We're now alive. The Bible says that Peter comes out and he preaches a message and thousands come to Jesus. How do thousands come to Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit has partnered the, the written word in the hearts of Peter and he begins to prophesy from the Old Testament and people start to hear the words of Christ even though he's ascended into heaven through his believers and their spirit is moved because the Holy Spirit is moving and the Bible says thousands are added unto the church in Jerusalem. That's the power that God's talking about when He says, you will be clothed with power from on high. Church, this morning, man, I've got so much more I could preach. There's like three more pages. We're going to stop here because we're going to go back into worship. But knowing this, and we're going to have week after week talking about the Holy Spirit, and, and we don't have to wait for the encounter service to encounter the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go back into worship. But I want you to understand this, is that one, the Holy Spirit has been present from Genesis to Revelations. He's present now. That as a believer, it is impossible to do the full outworking of the call of God in your life without being filled with the Holy Spirit. He is to come dwell inside you. He's the one that is to comfort you. To bring you peace. When you call on the name of Jesus, you're activating the power of the Holy Spirit who then summons the redemptive work of Christ, sanctification, where we are weak, and but He is strong. This is the Holy Spirit carrying us. If you're struggling this morning in your faith, it's probably because you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to have full control of what's happening in your life. You're still compartmentalizing Him. You're saying, well, you're for Sunday morning, you're for life group, you might be for the worship session, the car when I'm having a hard day, but you're not allowed into any other part unless I say you are. And you might never say it that blatantly, but at the end of the day, that's what your heart is echoing. And this morning, my challenge is to you is you've got to let go of that. It is robbing you. It is stealing from you. And at the end of the day, you are not going to live the fulfilled life that God wants you to live. So you have struggle giving. You have struggle surrendering some of your time to serve the church. They're the the little issues in your life then. The bigger issues are, well, well, how do you know where you are you're meant to be? How do you know you're sitting at the right desk at work? How, How do you know that the people you're talking to can see Jesus in you? How do you know any of this? Where is the security if the Holy Spirit isn't alive in you? You're walking around powerless. This morning, we're going to go back into worship. I want you to know these are the four things. You've got to remind it that these are the four things that Jesus teaches us. And you've got to get your head out. One, the Spirit is a gift from God, freely given for those who are. Second, it is what is going to help us do our ministry. And it anoints us in the midst of persecution. It's going to give you a voice to evangelize. Thirdly, you need to realize that that He is a part of the Godhead and you are to be baptized in Him. Number four, it's the power on high. It's the Spirit of God that makes us powerful witnesses to the gospel. We're going to go back into worship. Church, would you stand with me this morning? You can take this, Joel.
honestly, I, I need you to know this. The worst thing you can be in life is a fake Christian. Because if you read the Bible, there's a lot of things that stand in our way as Christians. What you don't want to be is fake. Because fake means you don't have access to the power to get us through what is ahead of us. You may as well be fake anything else. Just don't be a fake Christian. That is a bad mistake. Just for yourself. The Bible says, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Choose life that you might live. Choose blessing that it might echo into eternity over all generations. This morning as we worship, can I encourage you? We're going to ask the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never felt that rushing authority into your life, well, it doesn't. I don't need to lay hands on you. You just need to sit there and say, or stand there and say, God, this is my posture. I've come to ask. I've come to seek. I've come to find. Fill me right now. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be doing this every Sunday. And then on the encounter service, yeah, we're going to lay hands on the encounter service. We're going to anoint. We're going to believe and pray that God would just fill you with his Holy Spirit. But right now, we're going to worship as a church. And we're just going to give God the space to begin to stir like a rushing wind. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.